Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Amen. He is worthy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you indeed are worthy. And we stand, Lord, in joy to applaud the fact that through Christ, um, we can say that you are worthy of praise. You are the one and only true God. No one else, aside from you, Lord, is worthy of praise. We thank you, God, for for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And Lord, as we come to your presence tonight, we desire to worship you. We desire to learn your ways and your truth. As we consider the beginning of this Lenten season, we want to be close to you. We want to know you more. So Father, as we open your word now, teach us. Draw us close to you. Hear us, we pray, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So 2020 is an Olympic year. Did you know that? This uh, coming July and early August, the Olympic Games will be taking place in Tokyo, Japan. And this will mark the 29th modern summer Olympic Games uh, these 29 Olympic Games have, have taken place over the course of a span of 125 years. Now, all of this, of course, is in the shadow of the ancient Greek Games that, of course, took place in Greece. Okay, just mean you're paying attention out there tonight. I know it's dark outside. Hopefully it's not dark in your minds. Yeah, it took place in Greek, Greece. Every four years, those ancient Olympic Games happen. Now think about this. The, the modern games have taken place over the course of a, the last 125 years. Well, those ancient Greek games happened every four years over the span of almost 1,200 years. Incredible, isn't it? They had three main disciplines that the athletes participated in. Um, there was running. There were combat sports. It started with wrestling, evolved into boxing as well. And then, of course, you had the pentathlon. And, and, you know, this year at the 2020 Games, there'll be about 50 different disciplines. My, how times have changed. The Apostle Paul was well acquainted, as was anyone in that part of the world in ancient times, with these ancient Greek Olympics. So much so that he wrote about them in his letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 9, he talked about these games. And Paul, of course, saw the Olympics, saw the, the Greek Olympic Games in relation to God. He saw everything in relation to God. Paul was so immersed in the gospel, he was so into Jesus, that he couldn't see anything in life without thinking about how it related to the kingdom of God. That's how Paul saw the world. And so when he saw these games, he was thinking about the kingdom of God. So for Paul, 
the games are played on this level, right? I mean, the, the, the competitors run at this level. The competitors box at this level. The competitors practice and train at this level. The competitors set their sights on gold medals at this level. Paul says to the Christians, he says, look, there's an entirely different level. He says, when you see these athletes run, see another kind of running. When you see these athletes boxing, see another kind of boxing. When you see these athletes training and practicing and denying themselves, see another kind of training and self-denial. Do you see this? When you, when you see the athletes receiving a gold medal around their neck, you should see another kind of, of, of prize at the end of the games. Do you see it? This is how Paul viewed all of life. It's really how we all should view life. You know, today, as we've mentioned, marks the beginning of Lent. And Lent, of course, is a practice that the church has been engaging in and observing for centuries. Lent is meant to mirror the experience of Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, preparing himself for his earthly ministry and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Lent is a time to seek the presence of Christ in intentional ways in preparation for Easter. Let me ask you a question as you consider these Olympic games and this metaphor that Paul puts before us that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 9. As you consider that metaphor, as you consider the beginning of Lent, don't you want to get into top spiritual condition? I mean, honestly, some of us are a little bit sloppy and lazy, aren't we? We, we could stand getting into spiritual shape. Anyone out there hear me on this? Amen? All right. I'm not alone. I thought it was just me. Don't you want to get into top spiritual shape this Lent? Lent is the perfect time for us to go into spiritual training. Lent can be a vibrant time for us of spiritual growth, of repentance, of soul searching, of discipline and focus. And so that's why we're gathered here tonight. That's why you've come out here tonight, to engage in this Lenten season so that we may grow in Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bible, open it up, put it in your lap. I would encourage you, bring your Bible to church with you. Use the Bible app. See people carrying this around because we're devoted to it. And we, and we count on having this thing in our laps so we could take notes we want to be intimate with this thing, well acquainted with this word. It's a good sign when you see people at a church walking in with their Bibles. So if you have your Bible in your lap, open that up. If you're not, we won't give you too much of a guilt trip. We have it on the screens and you could follow along. Here we go. Let's dive in. I'm going to read the first verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24. Paul giving us this metaphor of the Olympic Games. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. This is how he starts. Are you familiar with the name Jonathan Edwards? I hope you are. Jonathan Edwards, one of the most famous preachers, theologians of all time. 
You know, Jonathan Edwards uh, wasn't always famous. Back when he was just Jonathan Edwards from New England, when he was 19 years old, he was in college, he wrote what is known as the 70 Resolutions. These are famous. If you're not familiar with them, you should Google this. Do some homework. Read about them. The 70 resolutions. And these were things that Jonathan Edwards resolved that he was going to do. He was going to read them every week. That was his commitment to himself. These were informing the person that he wanted to be at the moment and the person he wanted to be in the future. And one of those resolutions is this. He says, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. To live with all my might while I do live. You know, this is echoed in the scriptures in several parts. Again, if you're taking notes, write these scriptures down. Deuteronomy 6.5, a good scripture to have memorized. Here's what Deuteronomy 6.5 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, not just some of your heart, and with all your soul and with all your strength. That sounds a little bit like Edwards. It's probably where he was inspired. Or consider Ecclesiastes 9.10. Write that one down as well. You can look these up later on. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says uh, the following. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. With all your might. Or the New Testament. Galatians 6.9. Galatians 6.9 says... Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do you hear these scriptures admonishing us? That's just three. I had a list of about seven or eight that I could think of that point us to this great truth that we are to be people who live with all of our might. The way that, that Paul talks about here is to run to get the prize. To run in such a way as to earn the prize, to win the prize. This is really about zeal. This is about passion. Plain and simple. I mean, consider the things in our lives that we're passionate about. You might be passionate about food. A foodie. We have a name for that these days. You might be passionate about your favorite sports team. I don't know what that's about. You might be passionate about comic books. We have grown adults who are are passionate about comic books. There are any number of things that you might be sitting there thinking, I'm pretty passionate about that. And that's not to say you shouldn't be passionate about those things and enjoy them. But even more so, we are called to be zealous, passionate about the things of God and his kingdom. Are we not? I mean, sometimes I find myself feeling like I'm a full-time person who is a passionate person about blank and a part-time follower of Christ. It seems as if my worldly passions seem to minimize my passion for the Lord, and that's not the way it should be. Now, in light of this verse, verse 24 here, where Paul is urging us to be passionate, to be zealous, to run in such ways to get the prize, I have to say this, and this might be the most important thing in my mind, at least, that I say tonight, and that's this. The way that Paul runs and the way that he fights, which we're going to hear him talk about here, is not because he doesn't have Christ and he hopes to have him. 
This is not about works. It's not so much that you should work yourself up into a fervor, into a passion, zealously, so that you could somehow earn Christ, so you could earn your place in heaven with God. That's not the way this works. Listen, Paul is suggesting that he is in the race. He's in the race because he has been saved by faith through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Are we in agreement with that? Here's how else Paul says it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Look at, look at Philippians with me. This is another way. This is a parallel scripture for this teaching tonight. Here's what Paul says. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The reason that he is running and striving, the reason that he is pressing forward, the reason he is running the race is because Christ Jesus has taken hold of him. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. He's passionate, he's zealous, he's committed to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. The question is this, has Christ Jesus taken hold of you? Has Jesus Christ taken hold of you? His body, his blood, his life poured out for you on the cross. Has Jesus taken hold of you? If he has, then there's a race to be run. And it's to be ran with passion. It's a race that's to be run with zeal. If you haven't, if Christ hasn't taken hold of you, well then what are you waiting for? Tonight is the night to get in the race. Tonight's the night. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor John or Pastor Barry. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. Jesus Christ wants to take hold of you and put you in this race. So here's my question as we consider verse 24. Will you do whatever it takes to win the prize? If you're in the race, will you run with passion? Will you run with zeal? Will you do whatever it takes to run the race? Verse 24 is about zeal. It's about passion. Let's continue on. Verse 25. Paul continues, and he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. There was a study done about 60 years ago at Yale University, and this study is interesting. It included five-year-olds, children who were five years old. And those children were left alone with a marshmallow in a room for 15 minutes. Have you heard of this? Left in a room with a marshmallow for 15 minutes, and they were given these instructions. Hey, boys and girls, if you don't eat the marshmallow, then you'll be given two marshmallows. And they would leave the room and see what happened. Now, this was a long-term study, okay? And some of the results are this. The kids who waited... The kids who didn't eat the marshmallow waited for the, two, the second marshmallow, wanted to have the two. Those kids, when they grew up, had higher SAT scores. 
those kids were thinner. Duh. Of course they were thinner. Those kids earned more advanced degrees. Those kids used less drugs. Those kids coped better with stress. All these things were true about those. Isn't that interesting? Those things were true about those kids. But here's the most fascinating thing I read about this. The key finding that the man who, who oversaw the research, the key finding he said was this. This is a quote. Whether you eat the marshmallow at age five isn't your destiny. Self-control can be taught. Self-control can be taught. You know, when, when Paul says here, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, in, in different translations, it talks about self-control rather than strict training. In the NASB, it refers to a person having self-control. And so self-control can be misleading because we think of self-control and we think, well, I have to control myself. I'm not very good at that. Well, you have to understand this in the context of Galatians chapter 5 where we read about the fruit of the Spirit. If you jot down Galatians 5.22, and look at that later on. You know, this is a verse that speaks of the the fruit of the Spirit and self-control being among those. And so here's what self-control really means. It's not control by the self. It's control by the Spirit. The way to self-control isn't through your flesh, your strength. The way to self-control is through the Spirit. I want to give you really quickly here three principles. Three principles, um, and these are Spirit-led self-control training principles. That's what I call them in my notes. Spirit-led self-control training principles. Here's the first one. Believe the biblical promise that greater joy will come through self-denial. Those little five-year-olds who didn't eat the marshmallows, they believe this. They believed that greater joy was, was ahead of them if they would deny themselves that marshmallow for 15 minutes. It's really what Paul's talking about here. He says that, that people who compete in games go in, and go into strict training, that they do it to get a crown. They would get an olive leaf crown. They would get a crown that will not last. It would perish. It would disintegrate. But we do it to get a crown that lasts forever. So we deny ourselves. Why? Not for something here on earth but something we can attain in heaven, a prize that awaits us. So the principle is this, believe, trust in this biblical principle that greater joy will come through self-denial. This is important in the season of Lent. There are people who are giving up chocolate, people who are giving up social media. You know what the number one thing that people give up during Lent? Alcohol. People are sacrificing. They're denying themselves of these things. And why do they do this? I don't know why they do this. I think people do this because they think that somehow this is going to make them right with God. That's not the case at all. We, we, if we're to deny ourselves, it is to put us into ourselves into training. So that we can be trained and equipped to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the run the race is set before us. Look at the second principle. Okay? These are spirit-led self-control principles, self-training, self-control training principles. The first one is to believe the biblical promise, right? The second one, and this is important, it all hinges on this, to trust the Holy Spirit to give us strength. You know, when you do find yourself denying self, when you find yourself saying, you know, I'm going to set aside this thing, this practice, this, this hobby, this vice for a season. 
The only true way to do this is to trust the Holy Spirit to give us strength to do it. Your discipline will fail you. Your discipline. Your strength will fail you. But the strength of the Lord, the strength of the Holy Spirit, is what can empower us to truly have self-control. Here's the third one. And this is important. That we seek the glory of God as the outcome of our victory. That the point of all this isn't some earthly pleasure, isn't some attaboy that we're seeking, isn't so we can brag about it to our friends. The goal of the outcome is glory to God. That, that he will be glorified through us and his strength represented in us as we exhibit spirit-led self-control. So those are three principles. So the question I have for you is this, as we consider verse 25, will you practice strict training by becoming a true champion of self-control through the Spirit, through the Spirit? Maybe you could find a way during this Lenten season to practice those three principles in your life. Let's finish this section of, of the Scripture, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone, running aimlessly. We read this earlier this week, if you were here at church on Sunday. He says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Battling the body, battling the body. If, if you'd allow me to indulge you in just one personal story. I want to share this, and this came to mind as I was preparing this week for this message. A few years ago, I was out running in my neighborhood early in the morning, and it was a, a rainy morning. Um, I was in training, so to speak, and, and, and when I would run in our neighborhood, one of my practices, some of you do this, I would, I would use that time to pray. I was just talking to my friend John this morning, and he was telling me he does the same thing. That the running was not only a physical exercise, it was a spiritual exercise. That there was, there was a time of connecting with God. I love it, by the way, when we do that. When we find ways to connect the physical and the spiritual together to merge them, it's powerful. And, and as I was getting near the, core, the end of my course, I had a turn coming up. And, and what my practice was always to run harder at the end. I felt like there was something spiritual about that. And so I, I started to run faster. And as I turned the corner on this wet, rainy morning, the sidewalk was slick, and I planted my foot to turn, and I wiped out. I mean, I went down like a ton of bricks. It was not pretty. I mean, I was immediately, like, I was bleeding on the elbow and bleeding on the knee. I, I was hurting. My pride was hurt. There were little children in the neighborhood who were waiting for the bus, laughing at me and pointing. And with all this, my thought was, dust yourself off, go inside, and let's hope my, my wife will have pity on me and nurse my wounds. <laughs> but something in me, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit, for some reason, in my mind, the thought came, get up. And so what I did is I quickly got up, and I began to run another lap around the course as hard as I could. This was a very spiritual moment for me. And I think it speaks to this idea of battling the body. 
battling the body that, that Paul is talking about here. You know, Jesus talked about this battling the body. Here's a gospel verse, Matthew 5, 29, 30. This is, these are interesting verses. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. He says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Was Jesus speaking literally here? That if you have a problem with lust, that you should poke your eye out? Does that solve lust? Does that solve the problem? You know, if you have a problem with, with thievery and you cut your hand off, does that solve the problem? I don't think that's what Jesus is suggesting. I think here's what he's suggesting, that we should fight against sin and against the flesh with this kind of seriousness. That we would, we would, we would just as soon pluck our eye out, cut our hand, that we are serious in the battle against the flesh, battling the body, that we would, we would go to any length to discipline our bodies so that we might run the race of knowing Christ. That's what we're called to do. So will you, here's my question for you, will you, through, though you fall down, will you, though you fall down, rise in the strength of Christ to run the race? You know, the, the ancient Greek games were surrounded with myths. Surrounded with myths. For instance, there was a myth that Heracles had established the, the Olympics as an athletic festival to honor his father Zeus. These were kind of things that were commonly spread in those days and those times among the Greek people. And, and what these myths tell us is that the Greeks believed that the games had their roots in their religion, that the athletic competition, they saw it as being tied to the worship of the gods. This is how they viewed all this. Well, if this metaphor that Paul has presented to us about the games is something that we can look at through the eyes of faith, then I would suggest this. The race of life has its roots in faith. And the way that you run the race, especially during Lent, is absolutely tied to your worship of God. The Greeks may have been onto something. They just had the wrong God in mind. That the way you run the race is tied to your faith. It's your expression of how you worship God. So, will you get into spiritual condition, top spiritual condition during Lent? Look, run the race to get the prize. Go into strict training. Battle the body. These are the things that we can practice at Lent. I'll give you some practical ways you can do this. Wednesday nights in Wilson, we're going to be gathering Every Wednesday during the next weeks in Wilson Hall at 6.30. I've been told that this will be the biggest attendance. This will be the, the biggest turnout we have on a Wednesday night. Huh. I can't believe it. How would you feel if I didn't show up next week? <laughs> you should be here. You should be come and be a part of this fellowship. Let's engage in this together. One way you can practice this. One way that you can get into spiritual shape during Lent. Come on Wednesday nights. Now, Pastor John also told you about the curriculum we have, right? So those videos, uh, contrary to popular belief, they are not available on DVD, Pastor John. We don't roll that way. We are very modern. It's all online. I'll have to tell you something about uh, this thing called YouTube, Pastor John. It's really cool. I could teach you all about it. 
That's my man right there. I like to tease him. <laughs> no, the, the, the videos are all online. You can access them there. We have a PDF that is available in hard copy out there with some questions. You could do this alone. You could do this in the context of a small group. This is a way that you could practically engage in getting spiritually fit during the season of Lent. And then, of course, you can engage in personal spiritual exercises. All of this, though, is pointing us to this race that we run in Christ Jesus. And listen, Jesus exemplified how we run the race. Let me take you to the end of Lent. Right on the cusp of Good Friday, Jesus was in the garden. And as you might remember, in the garden, the flesh, the human part of Jesus cried out and said, no, I will not be crucified. But Jesus fought the body. Jesus fought the body to death to the point that blood dripped from his face. And what did Jesus do? He made the ultimate sacrifice. He ran the race to completion. He is the author of the race. He is our example. May we run the race during this Lenten season in such a way that we will know him deeply and intimately. Amen.